Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and in each episode of Inside Books we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well-known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers and more. You'll find Inside Books on all audio platforms and our Twitter handle is at Inside Books I-R-E where you'll also find lots of other interesting books news. My guest today is Declan Tui, a writer from Kildare whose work has appeared in a range of outlets including Channel, Soft Punk, Stone of Madness Press and was also a part of Queer Love, an anthology of Irish fiction edited by Paul McVeigh. In 2021, he was co-winner of the Irish Writer Centre Novel Fair and in 2022, he was awarded the Maeve Binchy Travel Award by the UCD School of English, Drama and Film. He's also received an Agility Award from the Arts Council of Ireland. Declan's debut novel is out now. It's called Perpetual Come Down and it's described as a trippy, funny, dark adventure into the mental breakdown of a literature student as he attempts to prove the existence of a third narrative dimension. I'm sorry, Declan, what? What does that mean? Well, well, among other things, um, it has to do with Darren Walton, an Irish doctoral student at Trinity, who tries to make sense first and foremost, I think, and and the existence of an alternate Ireland called Camland. So what do you mean, though, by an alternate Ireland? Well, he gets this notion into his head that there's this idea of another Ireland more so than a specific geographical reality. And the reason why this is fascinating to him is because it's something about which no academic has written before. And as an aspiring academic, Darren thinks that if he can be the first person to write about this topic, then he's guaranteed a career, he's guaranteed tenure at specific universities and so on and so forth. So it's at first this whimsical idea about something that doesn't necessarily exist and then as Darren kind of goes deeper into the labyrinth of this idea we begin to get the impression that he does believe it in fact exists and then we have this kind of um, binary between whether he's actually onto something or whether he is in fact losing his marbles a tad. And where did the concept come from? Um, That is a good question. It came about more as a joke than anything else so at the time a few years ago I was only writing flash fiction so for the uninitiated that tends to be prose between 300 and 500 words roughly and I came up with this idea of an opposite Ireland so I broke Ireland up into two words which is ire and land and I thought okay ire means anger so the opposite of anger is calmness or equanimity so I thought okay calm land and then I just asked myself okay what happens on calm land and then I just went with that and in doing so I came up with this character named Keen Scanlon who was the head of calm land and after that I just thought hmm I wonder what would happen if I explored this in more detail and kind of incorporated it into a novel and went from there really. And there's a lot in the book, um, but at the heart of it, I suppose, there's mental health, there's psychosis, there's perception, uh, there's also a satirical take on academia, and we can, we can talk about that later. But how did you approach the, the I suppose, the, the, the mental aspect of the protagonist and also the psychosis element? Yeah, I suppose it comes down to two elements, really. The first was that a few years ago, um, I suffered a breakdown myself. And so a few years after I'd kind of recovered from that, I was thinking about how best to kind of write about it. Not necessarily from a therapeutic point of view, because by that point I was kind of 
over it as it were kind of recovered and i was just thinking about the kind of false dichotomies more generally about being healthy and unhealthy being sane being insane and i realized i wanted to write a book that was partly about kind of need for nuance and the kind of shortcomings of black and white thinking and as i was doing that i found that i was able to kind of tap into my own experiences of what a breakdown entails and just kind of play with it a little bit and play with it from the perspective of an unreliable narrator and to kind of try and find at first where the drama was and then where the kind of tenderness was behind that and trying to first make readers interested and then trying to make them care, if that makes sense. Did you achieve that, do you think? Well, I think that's up to readers more so than me. But from my perspective, I think I've done all I can do. And I'm very much a believer in art and books that are from a time and place. And I think at this point, the book is from the time and place it needs to be. And I think if I sat on it for any longer and, you know, messed around with it for a few more years, it wouldn't really be any better or worse it would just it would be something different and so I think at the minute it's it's good to let it out into the world. You've also nearly created a genre for this because tell me what you're calling it. Um, well I think more generally it falls into the category of absurdist fiction so I, th- I think it does have some precedence in Ireland alone even we have the likes of Flann O'Brien in the 20th century and then more recently we have writers like Oisín Fagan and Danny Denton and to a degree Rob Doyle but he's different as well um, but I suppose more generally a novel like this just kind of or absurdist fiction just takes as its starting point the idea that life is inherently absurd and just does its best to dramatise that notion in whatever way. And it's funny because I hadn't heard that term before so I I nearly had to go googling it (laughs) so it is you know and you've mentioned other Irish authors who are involved there did you did you set out though with that in mind or did is did that genre come to you I suppose then afterwards you realised actually this is where this novel sits Mm, Yeah it's a bit of both really I think for better or worse it's the kind of style of writing the genre towards which I've been most attracted for all of my life and I think that just has to do with an inherent love of things that are zany and a little weird and using that zaniness to one create humour and then kind of create drama or something that means a little bit more. So I think for a while I was I was doing my best to kind of write realist Irish Irish fiction and it just wasn't working. And so as I was doing that I thought that I'd be better off going back to what felt natural to me and that's just what felt natural to me. And as I was writing I thought, well, okay, if there's other people in Ireland who are doing similar things and there's other people elsewhere, whether in America or Europe or South America, then I'll just run with it and see how far I get with it. And ultimately, I think it, it worked out. When did you start writing? Um, I started writing this in March 2020. So it was when COVID started, because before that, two years previously, I'd just been writing short stories and essays and flash fiction. And then when COVID hit, I finally thought, OK, now I'll give it a go and I'll, I'll try another novel. And... I got a first draft in about mm, three months. It was relatively quick, quick, but it was relatively bad. And so <laughs> of that... And had you had the concept in your head before that, so you knew what you wanted to sit down and write or did it flow? To a degree, I had an idea. I think for better or worse, all my long form projects are just short stories that got very out of hand. So when I started this, I I wanted to write about Maynooth 
particularly Maynooth University where I did my undergrad because I hadn't done so. And I wanted to write about a pompous and verbose narrator who's kind of using his verbosity as a kind of cover for all his insecurities and all his neurotic tendencies. And I wanted to kind of start with the verbosity and end with something that was a little bit more vulnerable. And after about 4,000 words, I realized that that wasn't something I could do in that space of time and that it had to be longer. So I just started off trying to create this voice, which ultimately became Darren Walton's. And as I was doing so, I just, yeah, I had fun exploring Maynooth and I had fun exploring Camland. And unbeknown to me, I didn't really know for a very long time that I was writing from the perspective of an unreliable narrator. To me, everything Darren said was totally sensible, (laughs) totally true. And then it was only after I sold the book that I sat down with um, uh, Aoife Walsh and Stephen Reid there. And they were saying things like, oh yeah, I love how Darren's just, you know, so unreliable and he says this and it's clearly not true and I had to hold my tongue. And I was thinking, okay, well, I guess I need to revise that because in my head that was true, but okay. So yeah, it, it took... It took about three months to write one draft and then it was about another nine months to get the draft that was sold. And then I sat in it for a year and we edited it in about three months. So I think all in all, it was probably a little over a year and a half of actual writing and working on it. And how did you find that editing after the initial three month burst of writing? How did you find the editing? The edit was great. I think it's the part I probably most like about writing just because it's when it becomes a collaborative process and you realize that your work just doesn't exist in a vacuum hopefully I think you might realize that before you get to an edit but it's great because it's the moment when you finally realize that your work is connecting with a reader and you realize various ways in which to make it better so it is something I cherish and I would like to think it, it makes the the resulting work all that much better. So when you had the book that you were happy with, what did you do with it then? Um, well, I submitted it first to the Irish Writers' Centre's Novel Fair. So this would have been in, tw- that I think that was September 2020 when I submitted that. And then it was the following year when... Um, the Irish Writer Centre got back to me and they said that I was one of the co-winners and as a result of that, there were 12 of us, we all got to pitch our ideas to various Irish and UK publishers and agents and from there came my relationship with New Island. So what was that like after all the work you'd put in? It was great, yeah. It was It was, It was. was particularly um, refreshing, if validating, even though I don't like that word, <laughs> to to meet people who very quickly got the idea and for did the they book. get it because it is the type of book or the type of idea some people might enjoy it and others might go that's not for me mm-hmm, absolutely yeah no they definitely did I think from even talking to Eva that first day over Zoom because I was living in Canada at the time um, I, I realised that she she understood kind of what it was inherently about but also she was very much in favour of the more whimsical um, tendencies if structures to the book and likewise with Stephen. So this one is published now but you're planning for it to be part one of a trilogy. Yeah, thematic trilogy because I'm kind of wary of sequential trilogies if you will because I think that if you have three books where you have to read one to read two you kind of scare off certain readers so 
yeah tentatively it's part of a trilogy i'm calling the dead goals trilogy because the dead what the dead goals trilogy goals yes okay. goals yes um partly because each of its protagonists are going through various life events where all of their goals are turned on their head and they realize if nothing else their careers are going to change and and yeah so i've just finished um what i'm hoping is book 2 it's either a very short novel or a very long novella mm-hmm. called Idiot Sons and I'm reluctant to say any more than at the minute for various superstitions of mine but I'm also about halfway through book three and I was working on that um, with Anne Enright as part of my MFA in creative writing last year at UCD so I'm hoping that will be finished this year but we'll see. So two and three are totally separate then to one are they? Yeah. Totally different d- d- plots and everything and, and word uh, in, characters. Yeah, indeed. If anything, they kind of all deal in various ways with themes of um, misguided masculinity, unhealthy family relationships, unhinged narration and linguistic experimentation. So that's their kind of core. Um, but yeah, they, they, they're completely different in terms of plot. Having said that, Book three is narrated by a guy who appears fleetingly in book one, in, in Perpetual Come Down. So, and are they all set in Ireland? I know you move around a little bit in, in book one. You go to, to Canada where you lived for a while, but generally Ireland. Yeah. So the second one, Idiot Sons, that's set in uh, Kilcock, where I'm from, or rather my version of it, because it's not entirely accurate. And then uh, this third book is set on a single day in Dublin. So that's entirely unlike anything that's been written in Dublin. No, I just. And the names of the books I love, obviously, but also the cover. And I have the cover here in front of me. Um, it's a lovely orange cover uh, with the perpetual come down by Declan Toohey on the front. But what is that? Is it a vegetable <laughs> that's on the front? I'm not really sure what it is. Yeah, so I think we might be general and call that a gourd. Um, What's a gourd? Well, there's the gourd family, which is a specific type of vegetable family, which includes pumpkins, cucumbers, cantaloupes, all of those fun things. And this one here is... Um, yeah, it's a bit gnarly looking and it's got googly eyes on it. And yeah, it was designed by Jack Smith and it was a pleasure to work with him. And he drew up he drew up various different covers, but this one resonated with us all, partly because it's it's weird and the book is weird. And then obviously for its kind of send up of masculinity with its phallic connotations and whatnot. But also it's yeah, it's it, it's hard to ignore those eyes, I think. <laughs> so we can expect more interesting covers as well on, on the on the next two, I assume. Yeah, let's hope. As you said, you're currently writing two, is John. You're currently writing three, but you also won the Maeve Binchy Travel Award. And you're saying that that really helped facilitate the research th- towards the third novel. It may not have happened without it. Yeah, so uh, I think this is where partly a bit off more than I can chew, because when I pitched... Um, my idea for the Maeve Binchy Travel Wars. I was hoping that would be book three, but at the minute that might be book four if that does happen. So what I kind of pitched for the Maeve Binchy Travel Award was um, was a novel in which an unhinged Irish seminarian travels to Russia, to St. Petersburg, by trains and boats. And this was before the war in Ukraine, and then I won the award. So, needless to say, I was unable to go to Russia. Um, so I 
got as far as I could at the time, which was to Austria, and I took a boat to uh, to France and then trained my way there. And so the resulting project will inevitably be about someone who, who, who doesn't get to Russia, but along the way, um, our unhinged seminarian, Fionn McNeil, will... Um, will think that he's single-handedly responsible for climate change and um, go mad in a healthy way, not unlike Darren Walton. So, the, And the themes are there, absolutely. Mm. But what I also love is is the scale of the way you think, you know, is you, you don't limit yourself. Yeah, um, again, for better or worse. <laughs> I think, uh, especially at the planning stage of any project, I tend to just throw as much as I can into it. And then what inevitably happens is that I realise... I have 10 things on the table, but the more interesting things are this specific thing or that specific thing. So 10 becomes two or three things and then the scale and always gets smaller. But I think it's it's fun to start out with with everything rather than nothing. And then pair it back. Interestingly, I found them found it very cinematic, actually, I suppose, in terms of, of that visualisation. So did you write it with film in mind or were you just focused on the book? Um, a bit of both, I think. I think I'd like to think I'm visual to a certain degree, but I do think it would be very tricky to pull off on film for no other reason than it begins with a character who's tasked with writing up his story on this typewriter in a forest. <laughs> and I can't really imagine two hours in which we kind of look at a guy typing on a typewriter. But obviously there would be you know, something different if it did go on screen. But yeah, I think I'm always just trying to get what's in my head into the reader's head, Mm -hmm. or at least to convey my ideas across in as coherent a way as possible. It's something I struggle with from time to time. And so I'm continually going back and saying, okay, is it clear? Am I being clear? Can the reader visualize what I'm saying? Is it working? And so I think in that respect, that's why it might come across as cinematic. And you've recently just done an MFA in fiction in UCD. So did that help then with honing the craft? Yeah, absolutely. I think if nothing else, it just kind of prompted me to look at writing as just something that has to be done when it's done, if that makes sense. Just kind of getting a better discipline um, under my belt. And and yeah, it, it definitely did uh, help to kind of hear feedback on a regular basis from peers and and mentors and just thinking about work in a critical way and not kind of letting not allowing myself to lose the run of myself and just thinking okay is this working and continually asking myself questions about the work and you mentioned Anne Enright earlier on so she was involved in that course was she that is correct, yes. She is uh, a professor there, so she was um supervisor for my long-form thesis, which hopefully will be book three. So, she, um, yeah, she's great, great person, great human, great writer. And, yeah, she, uh, she definitely helped me think about it in a critical way, that's for sure. And what sort of feedback did she give? Like, were you talking to each other on a regular basis or, or how did she presented to you yeah yeah no for for a whole semester it was for it was every week um and that wasn't necessarily um every week where i was workshopping material but other students would too and yeah for the most part it was it was it was verbal we would just go through the text go through a certain amount of pages top to bottom see what was working what wasn't working and why that might be the case um and 
And perhaps one of Anne's best strategies is to get you to think constantly about what everything means in a bigger picture. So she was continually pushing pushing you to think about the necessity of something. And a lot of the time I would have to say, actually, I don't know why that's there, Anne, but, you know, good. that's a good point. Did you ever disagree? Uh, yeah, but healthily so. Um, <laughs> but, you know... Um, I definitely went into every class. I would like to think um, with an open mind. And interestingly, on the front of the book, there is a quote from her and it says, Declan Toohey is a little genius. Yeah, which is funny because, you know, if I'm wearing the right pair of boots, I'm six foot. So I don't think I'm that little. <laughs> but no, it's 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 classic and very tongue in cheek and very generous nonetheless. And uh, some have said maybe it's... Is it a thinly veiled autobiography, this first book, or or how do you see it? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I think, if anything, I'm possibly playing around with with the idea of autofiction because I don't, th- I, I wouldn't call it an autofictional novel. I wouldn't call it thinly veiled autobiography for the simple fact that so much in this novel does not happen to me or did not happen. I think there's there's parallels for sure, and if anything. Darren Walton might be an alter ego, me in an, in an in a parallel universe, perhaps. But but there's just so much in there that's made up. I think that I can't necessarily call it an autobiography, but I know that many people probably will, and even many people who are close to me have read it and have said, "Okay, this is clearly you. This is clearly you." But you know, it's it's still fiction at the end of the day. Did any of your family pitch up on the book? They did, yeah. Actually, it was it was um, it was kind of ideal because uh, both my mother and father read it when I was out of the country, so that helped, I think, to have that little distance there. Um, so then I could return and and we could chat about it in a playful way. But uh, it was particularly funny because um, for context, Darren Walton is someone who was plagued with uh, the delusion that his parents hate him and and as my mother was reading it she was continually texting me saying things like oh you know I love you right and I'm like yes <laughs> ma'am it's a novel <laughs> and yeah I don't think she's going to let me live that down for a I while I don't think she will that's mm. what Irish mothers are like exactly <laughs> well Declan Toohey thank you for joining us here on Inside Books and you'll find Declan's book online or at your local bookshop now the next episode of Inside Books will be out soon just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details the handle is at Inside Books I or E. Inside Books is a unique media production with research by Nicola Fitzsimons and if you'd like to hear other episodes just search for us on the various audio platforms and don't forget to leave us a rating or a review. I'm Brida Brown until next time, keep reading Inside Books is a unique media production